There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Wonderful to be back with you again for another week. Got an exciting show uh, today. We're going to be talking to Tom Davis about standing up for positive change. And, you know, I think this is a really, really important uh, subject. There are so many you know, systems around the world that may be you know, slightly broken or not serving uh, the customers that they're designed to serve. And there are businesses who are maybe... Uh, you know, focusing on profit and not and gr- being pretty greedy and are not doing the things that are, are important. Um, in fact, if you have the opportunity, go back and listen to the show that I did uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Dr. Mansour Malik when we were talking about leadership with love, and you really get that uh, that um, need to uh, shift to um, doing the right thing, really. And I think um, Tom's a great example of that and a lovely follow-up up from that show in that um, uh, Tom is really challenging an unfair system. Um, he's unhappy with the U.S. healthcare system and the impact on the health of clinicians. And I can really relate to that in the U.K. and with my wife being a GP and, and the pressures that she's been under within that system. And he's teaching clinicians about a new way to make a living in a system that uh, for many is, is seen as breaking. And I think this is is fascinating because if you think about it, there are so many opportunities to disrupt tired systems that are not working and actually uh, create a business from it and also create a better world. If we think about the likes of, you know, the Ubers and the Airbnbs, how they have disrupted their industries. But there are lots of uh, opportunity for you to maybe spot uh, areas and opportunities where you identify that things are not working and then to fill that gap with your products and service. So Dr. Tom Davis, um, MD, is the national expert in, in value-based healthcare delivery and full-risk insurance contracting. He's a family physician and has been so for over 25 years. He's an angel investor. He's the founder of six companies, the co-founder of eight. And he successfully managed thousands of patients under Medicare Advantage and other value-based care programs, which I'm sure if you're in America and listening, that, you know, that means something to you. I mean, he's, he's a sought-after consultant. He's a speaker. He's a trusted advisor. And, um, and you know, he's got an incredible CV, um, having been a graduate of the University of Missouri Columbia School of Medicine, uh, which is a top-ranked family medicine, res- medicine, medicine residency program. He is a current diplomat of the American Board of Family Medicine, a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians, and I can go on and on and on. So a huge, huge welcome to my guest today, Tom Davis. Thanks for having me here, Chris. Boy, what an introduction. Hey, you're very welcome, sir. Lovely to, lovely to talk to you. And one of the things I am always like to ask people is, um, so we get a bit of a sense of where you're talking from, because we, we interview people, I interview people on the show from all over the world, and um, just interested to know, you know, where do you live, and uh, you know, what's, um, what's, the, what's the part of the world that Tom Davis knows uh, very well? Uh, I'm uh, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri right now, home of the uh, National Hockey League champion St. Louis Blues, uh, where it's uh, getting ready to thunder a little bit. Uh, it's in the heartland of the United States. It's about uh, oh, a thousand miles from any beach. So, uh, so this is where I make my home. <laughs> so it sounds like you might be a hockey fan. Is that is that right? Well, it's the first time our organiz- our uh, our team has ever won a championship in 52 years. I grew up with them here, so uh, it's there's a lot of excitement here. It's just imagine if Manchester United just won their uh, Premier Cup. That that would be something similar. Well, we could do better than that because we well we um in Leicester here we won the Premier League um only about three seasons ago and we were we were five thousand to one odds against it, so a little bit like your hockey team you know just it was wasn't expected and Manchester United and the uh, the Arsenal's and the Manchester Cities and everybody was caught napping and we won by ten points and it was seen as being at that point possibly one of the biggest 
success stories or unexpected in 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 history so we were we were on cloud nine as well so the party's in in missouri at the moment in San absolutely Louis. absolutely it's a wonderful way to blow out blow off uh, blow off steam and have a have a memory to share with your family Oh, so that's fantastic like just just picture the excitement over there at the moment so t- tell us tom what was your you know what was your childhood like and uh, and what in- what inspired you to go into medicine so uh, my uh, family physician uh, was an old-time GP. He delivered babies. He did everything. He came to visit us in the emergency room. He came to do house calls. And I can just remember from my youngest memories wanting to be just like him. And uh, that, uh, that stuck with me, and uh, it, was, uh, it, it gave me a goal to reach for uh, through a, a very long and arduous training process. And what's the – I mean – so, what was there any history of medicine in your family? What did your What did your family do? No, well, there's no history. Uh, my father sold tile, and my mother uh, stayed home and raised us and made a wonderful, wonderful house. Uh, but uh, you know, I always uh, was attracted to the uh, how smart and how Dr. King always had the answer. Uh, even uh, if it didn't seem like it was the right one, it, things usually worked out, and uh, I I found that to be very attractive. And then, you know, as I as I as I grew and I started being attracted to uh, problem solving and and engineering uh, approaching things from a from a systems engineering standpoint, unknowingly, uh, I, I found that the the two family medicine and that type of uh, predisposition dovetailed uh, very nicely. And was it in that that time in America? Was it a bit, a little bit like the UK? I remember when I was growing up, you know, the the sort of physician uh, was uh, you know, almost almost a sort of famous person in the local community, and everybody knew who they were. And often they had uh, you know the nice house at the at the end of the street. And it feels a little bit like it's it's certainly over here that kind of prestige of being a, a GP has has you know probably changed a little bit. I don't know why that is, but my wife's a GP, so we, we sort of talk about these things. But I just wonder if there's, uh, you know, the, the, the world then being a, a GP or a physician is uh, is quite different to you know, what it is today with lots of more systems and processes and things in place, which sometimes gets in the way of care as well. Back then, being a family medicine uh, uh, was not associated with a lot of glitz, glamour or uh, big houses. Um, so uh, So that's really not what was attractive. Um, you know what was attractive was uh, what he did, uh, and how he approached uh, how he approached problems. Um, as time went on, uh, I realized that one did not go into family medicine for uh, for uh, uh, for the glitz and the glamour. Although uh, from early on, I, I I wanted to go into a small town and to be part of the social fabric of that town. And again, I realized that that wasn't going to make me uh, be one of the quote unquote leading citizens. Uh, being a family physician again doesn't carry very much prestige uh, here uh, in the states, as opposed to being a uh, a neurosurgeon, something along those lines. Who they yeah. they de- they deserve their uh, they deserve their uh, plaudits. But I always wanted to be part of the social fabric. I always wanted to be um, uh, uh, have a good, strong relationship with my patients, just like Dr. King did. Yeah, I should say just um, add for my wife that was. Uh, uh, prestige and, and that sort of thing is n- of no interest to my wife at all. She was very much uh, driven from a young age to do this because she just cares about people and wanted to help them to get better. So that that was her, and has always been her motivation. So how how did this journey lead you to setting up one of the US's first value-based health systems? And we should also say for many people listening, and probably including myself, uh, let's, uh, let's understand what that actually means. Well, Value-based care has two definitions. One is the real definition, and the other is the definition that uh, that the government and insurers have. The real definition is uh, a system of healthcare delivery that uh, delivers value, as you define it, back to the patient. That's the real. That's the real definition. Uh, for governments and insurers, it's value-based care is really kind of a code word for. Um, metric-based care or non-payment for non-provable performance. Uh, and uh, I was very fortunate coming out of my residency program to associate myself with a small single specialty family medicine group in East Central Missouri. 
Uh, I would love to tell you that I um, I did a thorough assessment of the market and decided that that was the best place for me. But, Chris, uh, in reality, it was pure dumb luck. I just joined at the same time when they were offered a, um, uh, a contract through a large national health insurer uh, for this new program that was just coming online called Medicare Advantage. And the reason that this you know small single specialty uh, uh uh, practice was offered is because all of the larger practices in the metropolitan area looked at it and shook their head. They didn't know what to make of it. Uh, but I, I associate with my, myself with some pretty sharp uh, with some pretty sharp doctors, and and when they got the opportunity, they jumped on it. They jumped at it, and uh, we tore apart the contract, uh, learned how it worked, and the basics were that uh, the government was going to pay us a certain fixed amount of money every month to take care of our patients. And what we didn't spend, we kept. I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's it in its essence. And uh, with that kind of freedom, with that kind of uh, autonomy, uh, we were able to unleash uh, unleash our inner innovators. And uh, about 20 years later, uh, we sold the health system we created to a regional competitor for over $130 million. Wow. And, and uh, it was all because of the opportunities that uh, this first set of contracts uh, uh, provided. Wow, amazing, amazing story. Um, but you, you were, um, when we spoke, you were very frustrated with the U.S. healthcare system. And where, where in your opinion, does it need change? And uh, you know, how are you impacting that with your business? So with the advent of uh, the Accountable Care Act and the High Tech Act, which was the uh, federal law that uh, uh, mandated uh, electronic health records. Uh, there has been a tidal wave of secondary regulations and, as a result, consolidation. It simply becomes too expensive for individual or small groups of clinicians to uh, to practice, and so they're either quitting or they're being absorbed by uh, regional health systems. And that started about 10 years ago, and now it's gotten to the point where the regional health systems are starting to be absorbed by the larger health systems. And the reason is, is that healthcare has become a bridge to federal and state tax dollars. And the, the practice of medicine is so regulated here, Chris, that the margins on actually delivering healthcare are very narrow. Uh, going out and trying to make a living based on what the government pays for general practice and for basic specialties it is really close to impossible. The return on your time is uh, um, the return on your time is very low. So uh, what has happened is, is these large organizations are getting sponsored by venture capitalists that are looking for. 20 and 30% return on their investments. And basically, they're using a number of different vehicles to try to generate that return, both through getting access to healthcare, federal healthcare dollars, and also using healthcare delivery as kind of a loss leader to get the patients through the door and then selling them high margin products or selling their information uh, to marketers or using them to uh, uh, purchase real estate uh, where they can use their foot traffic to, uh, to generate secondary rents. And the the delivery of healthcare has become all about the financialization of healthcare delivery and less and less about uh, um, the actual healing. And uh, um, that is what is not just frustrating me, but frustrating the 1.4 million clinicians, uh, many of whom uh, are, uh, are leaving the, leaving the uh, practice of medicine completely uh, because they, uh, they're so frustrated about the misuse of their talents. And how patients are being treated. Wow, it just feels like it's a, it's a, it's a juggernaut that's hard to turn around. Um, it it yeah. is when you're talking about trillions of dollars. I mean, that's uh, that's that's a uh, that's a big that's a that's a big piece of big chunk of change. And uh, the organizations that are looking for double digit growth, they see it in being able to access those uh, streams of funding. But it's so it's so sad when actually the fundamental. Uh, nature of it is that it's there to, should be there to you know help people to maintain their their health and to live you know fulfilled and happy lives providing they take their own you know some responsibility in doing so it just seems a shame that it's uh, it's caught up in a system that's maybe not not fully serving them a system that's well, more about making money than um about uh, the, the the what's really important the good news is is that uh, eventually those dollars are going to run out probably sooner rather than later. 
uh, our national health care program is suffering a tremendous funding crisis that has been completely uh, absent from the front pages. And uh, the people who are the senior leaders in healthcare delivery and the venture capitalists who are funding them, uh, you know, again, they're interested in their double-digit uh, returns. And so when the money is no longer there, when that stream of revenue dries up or becomes less valuable, those folks are going to move on. And as a physician uh, in the second stage of my career, uh, I've made it my mission to try to make sure that there is enough of a embryonic healthcare delivery system uh, that's left behind so that the pieces can be picked up and people can still get the care that uh, that they need. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. And, uh, and after the break, we should just uh, you know, touch on um, you know what it is that you, you're offering to uh, to kind of help with this uh, with this system and uh, uh, and because it's it's impacting the lives of clinicians so I know you've got a, a service that you offer uh, and then you know start to have a talk about sort of services in general and maybe you know things like how do we spot weak spots you know how do we look at where systemic change is needed where we can maybe take um, advantage by offering something that uh, you know contributes to humanity in the in the process of us making a, a living and developing a business so we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Tom Davis. We're talking about standing up for positive change. And there's a wonderful case study here that's emerging of, of, of how, um, how Tom has um, you know, seen this opportunity from his, his vast experience within the health system in the United States. And we'll just have a, a little talk now about the, the business that he's created to actually um, actually contribute and, uh, and, and improve. Uh, and we're just uh, we're having a chat in the break, actually, about uh, the different sort of system in the United Kingdom and uh, my wife's experience of the, the system over here. Um, which I think is also a little bit broken. We have a, a slightly different system in that we have a national health service. People um, can um, gain health care through the fact that they're paying taxes, but um, with a vast organization as well, involving lots of, uh, lots of kind of money and lots of people, um, it's, it's quite hard to provide a system that keeps everybody happy and, and flowing. So Tom, in your, um, you know, with the, with the system that you sort of articulated in the U.S., you you really identified that it wasn't serving, it wasn't serving clinicians well, or isn't, and uh, and it, and the system is becoming very disruptive uh, to their lives. So you've you've created a you know a service that uh, is now really helping clinicians to uh, to have a, a more fulfilled way of uh, way of practicing. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? Well. When Medicare Advantage as uh, insurance, uh, federal insurance for the elderly and disabled uh, first came online in the mid-90s, it was just as I described. Basically, the, the patient's personal physician got a fixed budget of money every month, and as long as you stayed within some very broad parameters set by the government, 
um, you uh, were responsible for the care of your patient, and you kept what was uh, what was left over that you didn't spend. And if you spent more, then it came out of your pocket. And uh, that uh, that particular system, Chris, was like it was like dancing on air. And in retrospect, uh, in 30 years now of uh, learning about why it was so good, it was because it treated me as a family physician. Uh, with uh, with a sense of respect and allowed me to practice with autonomy, a sense of mastery, and a sense of service. And uh, research from the Federal Reserve, from Carnegie Mellon, from Harvard Business School, all um, find that for information workers like physicians, those three factors are key to fulfillment and productivity. Uh, however, you uh, however you describe it. So for 20 years as a family physician, I was in the rare opp- I had the rare opportunity of practicing under such a s- system, and it was wonderful. It was like dancing on air. Our patients loved us. We loved our patients. It was wonderful. And then, because of overregulation and and other issues, you know, we uh, sold to a regional competitor and watched the National Medicare Advantage system. Uh, more f- from one which empowered the pers- the patient's personal clinicians to one which was basically just a, a money skim of the Medicare system. Fortunately, there are still insurers and there are still organizations that have contracts which at least partially treat uh, allow the primary care physicians to be treated with the same level of respect as I did. And so what I do is I share my experience and uh, mentor these clinicians and these organizations into how to unlock the real value uh, behind these types of Medicare Advantage contracts. In my view, the system that I practiced under for those 20 years is really the last best hope uh, for the federal government to be able to provide broad funding uh, for healthcare delivery for the seniors and for the disabled folks. And uh, I, I spend a lot of time with my staff honing these skills. And so now I share them and, uh, and help other physicians uh, have, a, have the same great experience that I did. Excellent. Well, I, I've, I've spent a little bit of little, little time um, working in the, this sector and also have, have coached one or two uh, GP sort of practices over here, um, practice, physician practices to um, help them improve their businesses. And one of, one of the challenges over, over here I, I noted was um, a system that has you know, some similarity to you in terms of a, a fund per, pract- per practice. But I've noticed that there is a, you know, there are some uh, physicians are just very, very good at, at caring for patients and, and doing the medical things that you would anticipate. But, but they also have to be business owners as well. And, uh, and sometimes those, uh, those business skills, I've noticed, don't um, seem as prevalent. Is that the same in the United States? I mean, because Sometimes people get them into the holes and, and problems as a result of it. it. It absolutely is. But the greater problem is not recognizing that you don't have those skills. And um, that, uh, that is a big challenge when you come and speak to physicians who have not yet made the leap that they need to make a change because they have a false assessment of their ability to manage manage businesses. And uh, Chris, I've been partnering with, with doctors, again, for a long time, and I can tell you that uh, it's not the lack of business knowledge, it's the lack of humility when it comes to, uh, when it comes to that uh, topic that causes the problem. I would 100, 110% from my own experiences <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, I've, got, I've got cases and examples now flying through my head after you just said that. It uh, really, is, um, really is true. Um, so I, I think a lot of, one of the things that at the moment is uh, quite a buzzword is systemic change. And I wonder you know, about, ch- about kind of changing a, a system. And I wonder how you, know, how you go about approaching uh, change and whether you've also seen maybe o- other areas and other marketplaces that you think are really right for people to come in and create businesses that maybe you know, disrupt but also improve lives. Well, any, any market, any business sector where uh, someone other than the customer is, uh, is paying for the service or the, uh, uh, or, the, or the product, those are areas where the value feedback loop has been interrupted. And those are all places where 
you can benefit from um, a, a systematic analysis of, of, of how that feedback work, uh, loop works and uh, where the leverage points are within that, uh, within that goal, uh, within that uh, system. I, I'm very fortunate in that uh, the, patient, the, the clients that come to me are the ones who have already had their moment of clarity. They understand that they need to take a different road. And so uh, I am usually not involved with bringing them to that moment of clarity. Sometimes I am, as an, as I'm, sometimes I'm brought in as an outside uh, honest broker, and, and I tell the folks, the medical staff, uh, at their request, uh, how, how serious their trouble is. But most of the time, Chris, it's people come to me, they want my help. And that is an enormous uh, advantage I have over people who just approach things from the outside. Yeah. So you're, you're um, so the, the, the people that have recognized that maybe in um, a bit of bit of a crisis and uh, they come to the conclusion, actually, that maybe I'm I, I, I've got some responsibility for that as well as a system. Absolutely. And uh, and once you get there, then it's uh, it's enjoyable. I, I love working with uh, the executives, the leaders who get it. And the clinician, the usually the subset of clinicians who get it, and uh, usually it takes a, a couple of uh, a couple of days of spreading their contracts out on the table and sketching out their uh, their managed care systems and ident- and simplifying it down to one to three um, leverage points that are easy to uh, that are easy to uh, adjust. Uh, write down one to three tactics for each leverage point come up with some plans to uh, execute those and identify what metrics you're going to follow. And if you create this, if you create those interventions with the overarching idea that you're going to allow everyone involved to practice with the greatest amount of autonomy, the greatest develop their, their best sense of mastery and, and wrap it all up in a sense of service uh, to their patients, uh, then you unleash a beast of incredible power. And in a stultifying, stifling, overregulated sector like healthcare, uh, there it's it's like dynamite. It's like exploding dynamite in the system. And pretty soon, it just takes on a life of its own. And then I don't have a whole lot to do. So it's it's very gratifying when it when uh, when I'm invited in. It's very exciting, very gratifying, and and I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah I I work in. I'm doing a lot of work myself in the insurance sector at the moment with with uh, teams and organisations and and small businesses a bit like you and I, I was working with a large insurer last week actually but with a, a specific uh, team who you know are quite you know quite um, I'll say quite quiet they they you know weren't making necessarily making waves um, but so uh, some really good people in there and it was just wonderful actually during the week of working with them so seeing. The, you know, the enthusiasm and, and the engagement and the place that you could take them to when uh, suddenly they, they get it that actually we all need to be the best versions of ourselves but actually if we come together as a team with an exciting vision and a, and a clear sense of our purpose we could actually completely and utterly shine um, and I imagine that's where you take your, your people to through your interventions. Well a wise man that I, I work with says that every system is perfectly designed to deliver the output that it delivers. So if you create a system that's designed to deliver those three uh, key points to the uh, frontline employees, that's what you're going to get. Uh, I'll give you an example. Practicing under this uh, uh, model where I didn't have to worry about how many patients I was seeing or what level of service I was going to charge or any of that stuff, that, that allowed me to take aside my new receptionist and say, look, you got one job, and that's to make sure that the patients get what they need. Not what they want, but what they need. And if you question whether or not they need something, you kick it up to your supervisor. But uh, I, I really don't care how you get it done. You develop your skill set, and, and, and we will guide you and mentor you and give you hints. But it's, it's on you. And that was so incredibly powerful uh, that uh, by the time that I uh, hung up my spurs, uh, we had an elite uh, patient service uh, uh, system set up in our little practice in rural Missouri, and it, it was literally like dancing on air. It was it was wonderful. So if you create a system that unlocks those talents, really unlocks it, then uh, then the sky's the limit, Chris. The sky's the limit. And do you think? 
I, I, I think within these, you describe it as a system, uh, and, uh, and it, is, it is a system. I just find sometimes that people actually forget why they're actually there in the first place. They think they're there to, you know, process some paperwork, or they think they're there to, you know, get the get get a number of customers in and out of the door, um, patients. But they they actually forget uh, tr- truly what they're doing, the opportunity to change lives, and you know, really really help people and contribute to humanity and that sort of thing. They they lose sight of that uh, deeper picture. Do you do you find that in your work? Absolutely. And it's a shame because healthcare, the sense of service is the easiest of the three to generate. You're there to take care of people who are in situations where you recognize that they're suffering. And uh, delivering that sense of purpose uh, and uh, to your employees comes from servant leadership at the top. And that comes from everything by taking them out to lunch or taking them on a, giving them a little vacation break. Uh, all the way towards publicly acknowledging. It's like, you know, I'm the doctor. I signed the orders. But this positive outcome never would have happened if Betty had not done X, Y, Z. And a lot of times that peer recognition or the recognition of an employee in front of the peer, while at the same time you deflect the the quote-unquote glory from yourself, is incredibly powerful and it's deserved uh, in in almost all the cases because nobody nobody does uh, medicine on their own so just by servant leadership and deflecting credit in a public way towards the people on the front line allows them to uh, grow that 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 sense that they're doing something that's bigger than them and with that motivation people will accomplish miracles and uh, that's something that is in it is an anathema to do that in the corporate environment in an honest and real way. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of gum flapping about it. But in an honest and real way, it's very rare in the in the corporate environment. And that is, uh, unfortunately, the environment that healthcare in the United States is delivered today. Yeah, it's it, it's important work. It, it really is. And it's very rewarding work as well, isn't it? When you see that you work with a group of people and you just see that transformation, and they're they're, they're actually sort of they're, they're enjoying being back in the workplace again because they see the importance of the role, the contribution they're adding, and if they're getting the the, the praise from from up above, um, you know, they'd be rather be there than be be sitting at home. Um, uh, you're, you're shifting people away from. I come to work to earn enough money to be able to go away at the weekend and maybe have a holiday. You're you're making it much more of a a life full a, a, um, a fulfilling purpose, really. When I was uh, again, when I was leading my own office, uh, I used to uh, try to make sure that when the um, employees came back from vacation, I say, "We missed you," or "You were missed." Mm-hmm. And I stopped doing that because there was a subtext that you have to work all the time. But another reason why I stopped doing that is because I didn't have to do it. I can't tell you how many patients called up, oh, you're back, thank goodness, or I'm so glad you're back. Uh, the patients would give them that message on their own in a way that was far more effective than I. And that's Seth Godin, you know, the great, uh, the father of, uh, uh, the father, the father of, uh, of uh, permission marketing. He has a great statement. He goes, you can, you can define the quality of, uh, of your work by whether or not you're missed when you're not there. Yeah. And uh, um, these people felt missed. And whenever they tell me that story, I just will reinforce it back to them publicly. Like it. Great. Well, we're going to go to commercial break again now. Uh, after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about change. We'll talk about how to, uh, um, you know, how big a bite you should take at a system uh, when you uh, you see um, a, a, an issue that you can exploit. Do you do it in baby steps or do you take a, uh, a huge bite. Um, we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. 
one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Tom Davis. We're talking about standing up for positive change. I should also say a big thank you for to, to uh, my friend Chad Barr, who introduced me to Tom in the first place. Uh, Chad's uh, this amazing guy who builds amazing websites and helps people to um, uh, to uh, develop uh, content uh, globally. Um, so just uh, back to um, back to Tom. I'm, I'm kind of interested. You know, Tom, do you said that the people that you work with? they you know they're really open to change but do you ever have any people who you know who maybe you know work for them who see see uh, change as being threatening you know how do you approach this when maybe not everybody is uh, aligned with the idea well chris what what a loaded question uh as we uh, <laughs> as we grew our uh, our practice one of the uh, one of the tactics was to bring along other uh, uh small uh, primary care practices and and incorporate them into uh into the broader organization, and some of them were completely on board, and again, it was a joy to help them. Others didn't really see or understand the need to alter their uh, systems so that they could uh, generate all the value that they could for their patients within the organization. And uh, you, I discovered, uh, as a young doctor, you can talk at them, and uh, that doesn't change. You can show them that doesn't change anything either. Um, they have to take the journey themselves. They have to come to you. And it's when they come to you and say, hey, what is this? Can, can you help me? That's when you, uh, that's when you intervene. And really, it's, uh, it's very, very much uh, uh, similar to uh, a drug or alcohol addiction. They have to have that moment of clarity to open themselves up and, and, and say, okay, I need some help. And once they do that, then it's, it's fine. But I, I've learned the hard way. See, I knew that intellectually from my training about uh, people who have drug or alcohol addictions. But I didn't really understand it as far as my peers go. That was the limit of my wisdom. Now I do. Now I simply deliver the news when I'm asked to and, tell, and show them the way and then tell them to come see me when they're ready to get some help. And yeah. some do, some don't. Yeah. Yeah, you also uh, you also have another. I mean, you do this work with organisations, but you I know you you also work with clinicians and help them to develop a career um, through phone based support, don't you? Isn't that? Yes, I uh, I just recently uh, opened uh, the Institute for Telemedicine Mastery on the Thinkrific platform, trying to teach uh, 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 trying to collaborate with clinicians on how they can use telemedicine. Uh, to develop a uh, uh, a revenue stream to allow them to make the changes that they need in their own lives. I don't know what it's like uh, for GPs uh, in uh, England, but uh, the risk of uh, one committing suicide just from being a physician uh, is approaching 1 in 10,000. I think by the year 2022, it's projected to be 1 in 10,000. People are actually, especially younger clinicians, are actually taking their lives rather than continuing uh, to practice medicine in the system that we have. It's horrific. And um, one of the biggest reasons why people in that position don't make a change is they fear uh, not having the money to, uh, to make the change. And so telemedicine now is one example of where the practice of healthcare, Chris, is kind of leaking out the bomb. Um, finally, uh, the disintermediating effect of the internet is allowing physicians to sell their labor broadly across the nation in a free market. 
so that they're not constrained by all of the corporate restrictions. And as a result, clinicians can now can now generate uh, basically st- stable, excellent incomes just by uh, having their own stacking uh, uh, affiliations with telemedicine service providers and uh, and doing uh, taking care of patients over the phone. And it's a great opportunity for these clinicians who otherwise would feel trapped. They might abuse substances or or do something worse. And uh, uh, that is one of the reasons why I got into this because as I ask physicians, you know, why not go out on your own? Why not get your own Medicare Advantage contract with an insurance company? They'd love to give you one and just do it. And, and there's a lot of fear, disengagement, and really just, just depression. And uh, telemedicine was kind of intermediate step where you could uh, uh, generate enough revenue to get you away from the system and to really heal yourself from being treated like a cog in a wheel and then decide what you want to do with your life. Mm. So um, you mentioned about the United Kingdom. I'm sitting about 30 meters away from a garage where a a, a, a physician committed suicide about 15 years ago. Um, so yeah, the, the, the you know there's that the, those problems uh, sit over here in the United uh, Kingdom as well. I'm I'm kind of interested. This idea of telemedicine is when a physician sees a, pa- a patient, uh, there can be. You know, my wife sort of likens it sometimes to, you know, if you were a mechanic, you'd be able to go under the bonnet. But mm-hmm. what you really do is ask questions and maybe maybe examine. And uh, you're not always going to kind of get it right. So you've got, you've got to es- escalate. But there is, um, you know, the comp- if, you, if you diagnose things or you miss something, uh, you can be find yourself uh, open to, you know, criticism and potentially legal action. With, with telemedicine, you, you've actually a, a stage removed because you're not even in the same room with somebody. I'm, I'm sort of in, intrigued. As, you know, does the risk go up, or is it is it managed more? Is it managed in some way so that you know that um, the risk of getting getting sued or getting a diagnosis wrong doesn't uh, uh, is managed? Well, there's no question that it's a different discipline, and the reason why clinicians have trouble realizing the full value is because they go into it not again, with the hubris that we previously discussed, not understanding that it's its own completely different system. And um, so what these clinicians do is they, uh, they don't understand the principles of triage, of how to take a, a good history and physical uh, when you're not in the room with the patient. And that's what, that's what uh, we teach at, at our institute, to give them the confidence so they can. In general, you're taking care of less acute problems, so your risk of a bad outcome that's actionable is low. Uh, but on the other hand, you're taking care of a whole, you're doing a whole lot of encounters, and so the chances are going up. But if you do it correctly, if you treat it with respect, really your risk is actually less than seeing patients in uh, in person. Right, excellent. If you, um, in, how, how do you recommend people? You know, you're taking feels like you're taking sort of small bites at the system. And I, I was, I've mentioned it before on the show. I was very inspired by young Greta Thornberg and her impact on the the whole debate around uh, the future of the planet. And if you, you're familiar with that in the United States, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. And, and uh, you know, actually had a you know had a go at the whole system. And there were students over here who were missing school and. Um, you know, lying down in the, the middle of London and uh, uh, and having their their kind of impact, and she had quite an impact on politicians. And she but she really had a go at the whole system. And I think the key message I took from it was that uh, politicians and business people aren't listening to scientists, which is where they really should be. You know, would you recommend people uh, make businesses out of uh, you know small taking small bites of the system, or to actually take a take a much bigger stance? I think they should do both. It's a practical sense, so when I'm asked to intervene, uh, I uh, map out the systems that the, uh, that the clinicians, ha- uh, the health system or clinicians have, and try to understand what goals they have for the system. And because uh, nothing is more complex than the U.S. health system, uh, it's important to simplify those systems as much as possible and, again, identify just three places where you can make a big splash as quickly as possible and generate real value for the people who are trying to uh, trying to achieve the goals that you discuss. And uh, as long as the tactics that you adopt, again, unleash the big three from the, the, the people at the point, you will see positive change that you can reinforce 
And once once you get the over the initial inertia, it really becomes self-reinforcing, and uh, the outside advisor doesn't have much to do. So that's the small that's the small ball. Okay, the big ball is going uh, and using the influence that you generate from successfully changing these complex systems uh, and generate value for their stakeholders to speak, to engage, to become part of the conversation so that the people who need to hear uh, from um, people who, from, from, the, from the stakeholders that are thinking outside the box hear you and accept that what, you say, that's what you're saying has, uh, has value. Uh, I can't really compete with these large organizations as far as giving contributions to my politicians, uh, but I certainly can uh, use my expertise um, and my credibility to nudge them in the right direction. And so you got to play small ball, but you got to use the credibility that you win playing small ball to uh, to push for overall change. And uh, the thing about change is, as you well know, nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, and then it all happens. And when it all happens, that's when you want to have the credibility to have a seat at the table. Yeah. So, so with you know, looking back at your your career, you've you know you've been a you know, you're a physician, but you've also, you know, a, 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 a business um, generate an angel investor. You, you're you're developing businesses. You're consulting, and uh, you're also speaking on, you know, on matters which uh, contribute to change. There's an awful lot of sort of skills that you've developed over that time. And what um, advice would you give to, you know, maybe somebody who's earlier on in their career, but they want to make a big impact? And what would be your sort of top tips that you would give them to, in order to do that? The overarch the overarching advice I give, especially to the the young docs who I mentor, is that persistence and courage are superpower. Persistence and courage are superpower. They get results. You just have to apply them consistently and over time. And as you're doing that, build your talent stacks, learn how to speak, learn how to interact with people in a positive way. Uh, there's a number of tremendous uh, um, opportunity, number of tremendous training programs here in the United States uh, the, that, that you can use. The Dale Carnegie Institute comes to mind. Um, and uh, learn how to do that and um, build on your skills over time. And you will be amazed at the impact that you can have just by the fact that you are willing to spend your youth and your treasure uh, in an effort to serve others. That gets you credibility right off the uh, right off the bat. Wow, that's um, there's some really um, you know fascinating thought in there. And I I think uh, I'm I'm really really uh, like that and that that idea as well. People often ask me because I, I I speak and have been involved with the speaking world for quite a number of years now. But people often ask me, and is it is it is it worth myself you know putting myself through doing that? But actually learning to speak it it it's uh, it, you know, it's challenging, isn't it? Standing up there and uh, learning to tell stories and to engage. However, I find it adds color to every aspect of your life. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It's a skill, not a talent. I'd agree with that, Tom. I think uh, speaking is something that you can, with uh, perseverance, you can you can learn, and uh, it is something that's well worth uh, well worth taking the time to do it. We we over in the UK, I'm very involved with the Professional Speaking Association. Find somewhere that uh, can help you to speak and go and uh, put yourself through the process of uh, learning how to do that effectively because it's something that will will stand you in good stead for the rest of your life. Um, so just want to um, move into the end of the interview now. I, I wonder if you look into the future, Tom, and you, you've achieved so much in your life uh, so far through your work. I mean, what, um, if, you know, if you look back in um, you know, maybe 20 years, something like that, on your life, what do you think you will have? Uh, your contribution will have been. I'm hoping my goal is that my contribution will be that there will be patients who will have great relationships with their primary care doctors that wouldn't otherwise. If that's all that I accomplish uh, for the rest of uh, of my career, then I will be well and satisfied. But I may be alive when the U.S. health system runs out of meaningful uh, funding. And when that happens, uh, I want their, my legacy to be an embryonic um, healthcare delivery system that has operated outside the overarching system that's going to be available 
to care for folks that uh, can't get care otherwise. Oh, I, I love it. Well, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed interviewing you, Tom. It's been been fascinating, and uh, you know, really get your sincerity and uh, fascinated the way you've developed your career and how you're adding value in this, um, you know, in an area where um, you know change is really required. And I love that. Um, quote you shared with us about persistence and courage are a superpower that you've got to consistently apply. Um, Do you have a final message that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, For anybody else that's looking out there to make uh, systemic change, especially in a service field that's as complex as healthcare, my only recommendation is that keep moving forward. First, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. So the... The more uh, forward motion that you can generate, the more value you generate. And in the end, you'll achieve your goals. Just keep moving forward. That's great. It's great to know that you will have um, challenge uh, because they'll ignore you and fight with you. Uh, and then you win. And if, if, you, if you're persistent and courageous, I would suspect, uh, based on your input, Tom. Uh, great to talk to you, Tom. I wish you uh, the very best of success with what you're doing. If anybody's got any thoughts and ideas, they can... Uh, uh, they want to approach, um, connect with me, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. You can also find more information by going to tomdavisconsulting.com. That's uh, Tom Davis, and Davis is D-A-V-I-S, consulting.com. And you can connect with Tom uh, through uh, through that um, that methodology. So, uh, yeah, thank, thank, once again, thank you very much to uh, to Tom on, um, on next week's show. We're going to have um, Adrian Furnham, who is... I think when it comes to psychology, um, is the, uh, the, the the most published author in terms of numbers of papers and uh, books. I think he's written 90 books published, I think, and written hundreds of papers on it. And we're going to talk about office politics, which I think is a fantastic subject. So do join us again next week. And once again, huge thank you to Tom Davis. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 